What are you doing here? Bree, I want... I want you to run away with me. <laughs> what? <laughs> I want you to run away with me. Oh, my God, you're wet. I am wet. I love you. I want you. I need you. I can't take all this craziness in my life anymore. These women are just... Look, I just want you. And I want to go away right now, and I want you to come with okay, me. I want you to come downstairs and catch your breath. Let me make you a cup of tea. Come no. here. I'm serious. Bree, Bree, I'm serious. I'm serious. I've never been... never been so serious in all my life. I want to go away with you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. You're different. You're just <laughs> different than any woman I've ever known. Ever. And I want us to be together. It's you and me. And I want us to get the hell out of here and as far away as we can. So come on, let's just go. Let's go. Come on. Get in the damn car and get out of here. Right now. Right this minute. Let's, let's just see where it takes us. Come on, Bree. What do you say? What do you say, Bree? Sally, I'm sorry. I can't do that. I can't go away with you. Why not? I love you. I need you. We can be together. You won't have to work. You, you, you won't have to give golf lessons, do anything else you don't want to do. I could, I could take care of you totally, and you'll never have to worry about anything else ever again. Why never. That? Why would I want that? go to New Orleans with you. I just got back, you remember? I know. Plus, Sally, I made plans. You're with Harlan, aren't you? I'm not with anybody. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Welcome once again to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 349, Dr. T and the Women. And this is listener request number 50, courtesy of Big Al. Thank you, Big Al. Sometimes we get uh, requests that are ones that we certainly would do anyway, and then other times we get Dr. T and the Women. Yeah, this is a film that neither of us had seen. This was not on my radar at all. And I know it's a 
big time director, Robert Altman, came out when I was a teenager. <laughs> well, I don't know that a lot of teens are into the Altman scene. Yeah, no. <laughs> I certainly didn't know who he was at the time, but I don't even remember this. I don't remember seeing a trailer for it. It just was not on my radar at all. I doubt they were putting this trailer before the movies you were seeing <laughs> <Yeah>. in 2000. <laughs> it's probably like Mission Impossible 2. Well, I can't blame you for not immediately knowing all of the Altman titles because there are a lot. There are many more than you would think. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> tons of movies, tons of TV Very shows, prolific. tons of TV yeah. movies. Super prolific. This is in the later years. He only made a few more films after this. I did reach out to Big Al. Mm -hmm. Now, it was just yesterday we ended up recording this significantly before we're posting it okay. by about a week. So I misjudged when to send him the email. Maybe I didn't give enough time. We didn't hear back. I thought this would have been a good movie to have the person who requested it maybe guide us into it through an email like we did with Speed Racer. So maybe Big Al will reach out. Check your spam or your junk mail. I know that I've ended up there with the greatest <laughs> pod account before. So People put like some auto-routing rules on to send it straight <laughs> yeah. to trash. So in case you're hearing this, Big Al, maybe we'll read that next time if you can reach out and tell us your history with this film. It came out in the year 2000, and I would say that it's about as 2000 as it gets. I was going to bring that up, too. The fashion, just the seems, score, I know, 100%. the look. Very, very year 2000 <laughs> before we dive into dr t and the women let's remind everyone to please follow the show on x slash twitter at greatest pod and you can reach us via email greatestpod at gmail.com we'd love to read your emails on the show we did not hear back from big al but we will read another one at the end as always, please make sure you're subscribed to the program on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you're finding us. And if you get a chance, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. We love to read those. It's always a nice little boost for us. 100%. When a new one rolls in. Love to see it. If you'd like a free sticker, reach out to us and we'll ship that out to you. And find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983 and Matt Crosby. If you have a listener request of your own, we still do have some slots left for 2024, so please reach out. There is a cost involved. $50 will get you a movie that runs up to two and a half hours, and then we charge $75 for a movie up to three hours in length. Anything longer than that, and we would have to potentially negotiate with you. The prices will be going up at the end of the year, so do not delay. Get your listener request in. ASAP, and we're pretty flexible on that. Yeah, shockingly so. I know yeah. us to not be a very flexible bunch. <laughs> we're kind well, of set in our ways. As long as it's a narrative feature that I can f track down, uh -huh. then it's in play. The only thing that we aren't doing are our revisiteds. I think we'll right now we're just yeah. picking those. That's off limits. And TV shows or things that are documentaries are not actually narrative films. Anything else... We'll try to make it work, even if it's super controversial, like Dr. T and the Women. <laughs> this is the most <laughs> yeah. controversial movie. Kind of is if anybody was remembering it or talking about it. but No, it really isn't. But it is a little oddly dated, but it was written by a woman. So this will be a fun discussion to have. 
there's a lot to like, there's a lot to not like, and there's a lot mm-hmm. to question, wonder what exactly that was supposed to mean. It is a strange experience that then takes a wild turn into even stranger territory by the end. Yeah. Unexpectedly so. If it wasn't for that ending, I don't know that we would be doing it on the show, that Big Al would be requesting it, or that anyone would even remember it, because I'm not sure that the first hour and 45 minutes is particularly memorable. It's a pretty run-of-the-mill rom-com without anything too special about it. But then the ending asks you to take a little bit of a journey into a surreal dream potentially but let's save that unclear right let's circle back to it because i'm not sure how familiar people are with this movie if you have not already seen dr t and the women or would like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this podcast you have a lot of options for streaming it for free although you'll have to deal with the commercials but roku channel voodoo tubi freebie etc why are you shocked? This is the exact kind of movie that I would think would be on it's those It's just services. everywhere? Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of thought it would be one that would only be available for rent. I did rent it because I didn't want to deal with the commercials. I watched it on Freevee with commercials. I lived. As mentioned, Dr. T and the Women was released in the year 2000. It was directed by Robert Altman, written by Anne Rapp, who was... A frequent collaborator during the latter stages of Altman's career, she also wrote the script for another one of his films, Cookie's Fortune, which I believe was released the previous year. She also wrote a script for some of the TV stuff he did, one of the shows, and I think was actually contracted to adapt or write a sequel to the movie Shortcuts, or if it was supposed to adapt more of the raymond carver short stories Mm. to be made into a a further extension of shortcuts but altman ultimately decided not to make it so it didn't happen okay i'm not sure that one would guess that this was written by a woman right yeah it's interesting it's it's a world of women yeah there's almost no male characters outside of the lead but it is a male perspective right which is interesting yeah and i don't know that there's necessarily a lot of accuracy or attention to detail when it comes to some of the gynecological exam detail Yeah, I wouldn't stuff. think so. But I don't know, because I've had no experience. <laughs> Not our world. But it seems strange that the women are almost enjoying these experiences. and They're certainly lining out the door to get these appointments booked. The budget for the film was $23 million. The box office came in at $22.8 million, so it was not a hit. Rap did say that Dr. T and the Women is inspired by the book of Job, but I'm not familiar enough to be able to tell you how that makes sense. Maybe some of our biblical Mm, scholars can email in and make that connection. Outside of my area of expertise. When I read that, I thought, yeah, that makes sense, but then I also thought, I don't know why that makes sense. (laughs) It just felt like it. Yeah, I'm sure Job was overwhelmed. Our listeners just love Liv Tyler, I guess. This is the second Liv Tyler movie that's been requested this year us too when the opening credits are going and i'm seeing these names i'm like hell yes yeah you can definitely understand why this had a 23 million dollar budget in the year 2000 this is a pretty stacked cast kate hudson tara reed i know what her career has gone on to be but at the time yeah that's a pretty big name a get laura dern beloved by the show Liv tyler shelly long i love me some shelly long farrah fawcett yeah and helen Helen Hunt. hunt yep 
I'm not sure how long this episode's going to end up being. Four hours. Because there's not a ton of information out there on this movie. A lot of it's just going to have to come from our own brains, which yeah. is a scary proposition. Like, but what inspires one to make a movie like this? One of the places I stumbled upon was a little website called drtandthewomen.com. <laughs> this is a shell of a website that I'm assuming is 23 years old that from the, when this movie came out. Is this one of these specifically for the movies? Yes. Yeah. And created by the studio, so right. it's not done with a fan's love and or they, anything. So there's not really much to it. I love that they just leave those domains up. Yeah, and I don't even know if there's a single clickable thing on the site. Wow, it's that's just amazing. a picture <laughs> and words. <laughs> I believe this is only the second Altman movie we've covered on the podcast after McCabe and Mrs. Miller. That seems right. Which is something that we'll probably have to correct in due time. But mm-hmm. Altman is sort of a an interesting director to try to get into, try to tackle. He's certainly not for everybody. I know a lot of film fans are not into him. He's not yeah. their thing. There's a lot of overlapping dialogue, even in something that seems as glossy and mainstream as this. I know. there's still It's very chaotic. Yeah, that style is certainly still present. I think that... Given enough time, we will probably get to Nashville. Yeah. And I would love to do Three Women, which I think is an awesome movie. Oh, yeah, I know it is. It's a little obscure. It's even, it's way more obscure than something like this. This made 20-something million at the box office 23 years ago. Three Women was unavailable for multiple decades until Mm -hmm. Criterion Collection rescued it. So it's not exactly the same thing. But I would say that for me... Altman is hit or miss. Yeah, I think that's fair. There's some that I love. I really enjoy The Player a lot. Yeah. Which was probably about eight years before this one. His 90s even. A late era of a career jam-packed with movies. (laughs) Just so many. I love The Long Goodbye, too. Yeah. This being your first time seeing Dr. T and the Women, what are your initial thoughts? What do you walk away from it thinking? What are your feelings about the movie, observations? It's not a surprise to me that it's not something that was on my radar because I think you walk away feeling like, what was the point of that? At least on initial viewing. It's really asking you to interpret the ending. And I think the ending does a lot of heavy lifting as far as trying to make a point of what you've watched for the first hour and 45 minutes. And I do think that there is something there. And something that we can dig into that will be at least fun to talk about. The ending definitely upped the level of interest for me because it kind of seems like it comes out of nowhere. Yes. Now, I didn't hate watching it or anything. I kind of enjoyed going along with the vibe of the movie, even though the humor, not top notch. Some of the humor wasn't necessarily landing, although I was definitely amused by some of the film's more farcical elements, especially yeah. Shelley Long. That's a highlight scene. Shelley Long's entire performance is very funny. She has a few funny lines in describing the women waiting in the waiting room as fillies. I gotta oh, keep yeah. the fillies are getting <laughs> restless and stuff like that. But how would you have felt overall, do you think, if now this is a spoiler alert for people mm-hmm. who haven't seen the movie, but you can probably kind of tell from the opening clip I'm using 
if things had just worked out as a happy ending between Dr. T and Brie at the end, and she just runs away with him, and yeah. it's a straightforward romantic comedy. That's the way it feels like it's going to go. The tone of the whole movie makes it feel like that's the ending we're heading to. Yeah, and I'm kind of wondering, though, if that's intentional. It might be. Trick you. And that's and it is a swerve at the end. Because if that happens, then don't we think that Dr. T is a hypocrite? Yeah. Because he's abandoning his wife. Now, I know that she wants a divorce, but you have to understand that her specific condition, Dr. T is being told she's basically a child now. So that means like she can't really make the decisions of an adult, so you can't take that personally that she says she wants a divorce. That's bizarre. So he's just leaving her to, I guess, stay in, a, in an asylum and run off with this new woman. If the movie caves in and gives audiences what they probably would have wanted, then the movie is sort of telling you that Dr. T is actually a fraud. He's a f- not actually this great guy, this understanding guy who understands women and is so in tune with women and supports them and loves them and is obsessed with them. Oh, I know. And then it's all fake because then he trades in his well, wife for his own needs in her moment of crisis. But it is one of those things where... It's beat down after beat down for this guy too. Yeah, but that's another thing that doesn't age well because yeah. some of those beat downs aren't really that. Yeah. Yeah, they're asking you to be more shocked that his daughter has had a sexual relationship with a that's woman true. That than part you is would be jarring. now. Yeah, I know. There probably is a lot more under the surface. It's just a matter of whether or not the film is successful in conveying what that is, what that point is. Mm-hmm. Because I think the upbeat positive dreamlike existence of Dr. T for the first hour and a half until things start crashing down. I guess it's hour, hour and 15 minutes right. until that day from hell when everything starts crashing down on his head. That all is supposed to be a teaser that you're thinking about your your standard rom-coms, your happy endings, whatever. But the point of the movie is really about the female perspective, which yeah. is... I would say almost like a a mild satire of these women in Dallas. I think so. I think it's supposed to be don't just sit at home and let your man do everything. Get out there, fulfill your own desires, get your own career or interests or life. But the movie doesn't spend a ton of time with pre-breakdown Kate. Right. So that is sort of lost on who we're satirizing with these women. Because she just seems like a nice lady who goes crazy. True. And then that other Lee Grant from Valley of the Dolls comes in to tell us what the problem is, but she's just telling us that. We have no proof of why she became. What if this was a a bad diagnosis? Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It is hard to connect with any of the characters in the movie. You know what movie it kind of reminded me of tonally is that Michael Ritchie movie, I Let You Borrow Smile. Oh, yeah. That's satirizing the beauty contests. I think this is definitely satirizing a certain type of person in Dallas, Mm -hmm. upper class, taken care of, bored. Yeah. Because I think we're supposed to see that in Peggy a little bit, Laura Dern's character, maybe. By the way, Laura Dern, that hair that's being rocked in this movie, just stunning. I think she was still a little bit lost at sea at this point. She hadn't quite made the big comeback yet. That is true. I think she was still paying the price for playing Ellen's gay love interest on Ellen, which I guess really hurt her career because the world was pretty homophobic. I know it's weird to think actually not that far away from Jurassic Park, 
Yeah. But feels like a That was a long away. seven years. Yeah. It did seem like Laura Dern was kind of not a big deal for a while, didn't it? Kind yeah, of? absolutely. Until she Especially when you see this. Way back. She's like the sixth build person in this. That's true, but I, mean, I think a lot ensemble, of people but... wanted to work with Altman. And yeah. we'll get into that with Farrah, Farrah Fawcett, Fawcett specifically. Altman was a legend at this point, and that goes a long way right. in recruiting talent. Because, yeah, I think a lot of the parts in this movie end up feeling small and undercooked, including Laura Dern's. You could make this exact same movie without her yeah. or her three daughters that don't really factor into anything, and it would basically feel the same. I do agree with that, yeah. Which is why I was speculating that maybe you were supposed to take your cues about what Kate was like mm -hmm. from her, and that's why she's there, I guess, because you don't really see Kate much before right. the breakdown. 57% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics were a little bit more split on it than audiences. Audiences were much harder on the film. The cinema score audience polling gave the film an F, one of only four <laughs> theatrical releases that year to score that low. Well, since I had never seen the movie, that jumped out to me right away. You rarely see an F. An F does not necessarily mean bad or terrible. An F means angry. <laughs> So that's intriguing to me. Yeah, that yeah. means the audience was upset at the end of they the film. They got something that they weren't ready for and did not like. They were like, take this back. So a half hour into this movie, I'm very confused by this F. Mm -hmm. An hour into this movie, yeah, that's I'm true. still very confused I know, by this F. Not a knock on the movie. First viewing, you feel like it's just a C. It's like a down the middle yeah, feel. 90 yeah. minutes. Right. I'm still confused. An hour and 50 minutes of a two hour and one minute movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm starting to understand why oh, this people is, were yeah. leaving the theater filling out those cards <laughs> angry. Notable critics such as Roger Ebert, A.O. Scott, and Todd McCarthy did give the film favorable or moderately favorable reviews. I think there were some critics that were definitely willing to dig into it a little yeah. bit more who thought that there was more to it. Maybe catching on to a little bit more of what they're going for. Because I do think that there's something there, but I think you could be pretty critical of the execution. Well, I definitely think that some of the scenes run on way too long mm -hmm. and are staged in a weird way. Yeah. There's a lot of cell phone material, which I'm guessing they kind of thought was still novel because it was the year 2000. True. So, yes, people were used to people having cell phones, but to casually use them. There's a bit in this where whose cell phone is ringing. Oh, yeah. That feels like a bit we haven't seen There's in like, um, 10, 15 years. Speaking of just the things that were reminding me of the era, like Papa John's product placement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the film's strengths, I think, come from some fun game performances, especially from Gear and Hunt and, to a lesser extent, Dern and Hudson. But the performances are good. I think Altman does a good job of reigning in the chaos and – especially those waiting room sequences, those actually work. They feel like they may belong to a different movie because they're a little zany, but you get it. I felt stress coming into my body almost watching some of that because I don't like those kind of scenarios where people are all talking over each other in a very agitated state. It can be fine if it's fun at a bar or a party, but when everyone's sort of on edge and then oh, yeah. chattering and tense, that worked. I think Shelley Long running around, all the patients right. being upset, those scenes are all very funny. 
the stuff that didn't work, I think, was the script, which probably needed another pass. Some of the dialogue's a little clunky, especially from Tara Reid. We were talking before we started recording. I hate to pick on her character because uh-huh. I think people assume that, oh, she sucks, she's not a good actress, yeah, whatever. Yeah, she's unfortunately become like an easy target over the years. Her performance is fine. It's yeah. not great or anything, but I do think that her scenes are particularly not well-written where she repeats herself a lot. Maybe that's her improvising and that's not how it's written, so maybe she does deserve the blame. I don't know. <laughs> but she does repeat information that she had already said several times. You're like, yeah. all right, okay. Like where she's trying to convince her father not to let her sister get married because of the right. situation. That scene in particular jumps she, out on She that keeps topic. repeating the same thing. You're like, yeah. yeah, you already said that. Well, maybe she's just trying to get it to sink into him. <laughs> no, I know, but I yeah. felt like that was the script. Like right. it just kept going because- and then the cell phone conversations between her and her sister are weird and clunky. Yeah, the scenes just feel weird all the way around that, including like it happening at the cheerleader practice. Well, there's also a People scene being where annoyed. it's actually the scene where Connie, Tara Reed's character, stays behind to tell her father, Dr. T, about the situation with her sister, Dee Dee. That scene before that where Peggy, Dee Dee, and Connie come into the office if you pay attention, they yeah. never say why they came in. There's never really any reason that the three oh, of those, true. Yeah. they just came in there and then they leave and then Connie stays. So I do think some of the stuff needed a little bit tightening up with the writing. And I also think the editing could have been better. Yeah, There's some stuff that could be trimmed. This movie, I think, could accomplish the same thing and be more successful at 100 minutes. Yeah. 105 minutes, something like that. It doesn't need to be 121 minutes. It doesn't feel like the chemistry between any characters is quite right. I liked the gear hunt chemistry, but everything yeah, else that's the strongest. felt weird, yeah. Although I would have liked to have seen more Liv Tyler, Kate Hudson chemistry. <laughs> Definitely. There were sparks there and for a quick minute. I think Kate Hudson minute. might have liked to have seen <laughs> some more, too. Based on some quotes that are out there. The first 20 or so minutes of Dr. T and the Women serves as a chaotic introduction into the life of Dr. Sullivan Travis, a.k.a. Sully, a.k.a. Dr. T, played by Richard Gere. I do kind of think Travis is already short enough. Not sure why we need to abbreviate it to Dr. T, but okay. (laughs) And the many, many women who populate his world... Dr. T is a wealthy and popular Dallas-area gynecologist serving a variety of upper-class Texas women. All of the dialogue in the lengthy and complicated opening tracking shot was improvised. It took five days to shoot. I'm always impressed by stuff like that because there does need to be a certain amount of timing, too, because the camera is moving and catching different action as it's all happening. Yeah. But the actors are all saying stuff. And I tried to listen to what they were saying. Some of it felt a little random, but mm-hmm. it all seemed believable. So I always think that's cool Like when they pull that off oh, and yeah. the actors are left on their own to come up with stuff. <laughs> Pretend like you're in an office. What might you be saying? Have some fun with it. Shelley Long plays Carolyn, who is the main secretary who basically runs the office. Always The, uh, the Christina Hendricks oh, right. yeah. of this little world here. She replace Goldie Hawn, yeah. Kate Hudson's mom. I always did kind of associate those two. They have a similar vibe. I wonder why Goldie Hawn ended up not doing it. I wonder if they thought it was weird that her mom would be playing not her mom, but be in the same movie. I don't know. Who knows? Could be any reason. 
Dr. T's wife, Kate, played by Farrah Fawcett, is assisting their daughter, Dee Dee, Kate Hudson, with the planning of her upcoming wedding. Farrah Fawcett said she was so eager to work with the unconventional Robert Altman that she flew back and forth between Texas, where this film was being shot, and Nova Scotia, where she was making another movie several times, and paid for the flights herself, but she almost didn't get this role because of the other film. When the offer came into my agents, Fawcett explained in 2006, they said I wasn't available because I was starting another film. I said, pick up the phone. I cannot believe this was the one time Robert Altman calls. I do anything to work with this man. Wow. I did see that as well. It's a very hectic, very Altman-esque plunge into the world inhabited by Dr. T and these characters, cutting between the women at the mall and the men out golfing. In addition to Kate and Dee Dee, we have Tara Reid as Dee Dee's younger sister, Connie, although Reid in real life is actually three and a half years older than Kate Hudson. Claire Danes was also in the mix for Connie. She plays this conspiracy theorist, although why is sort of unclear. I guess just to add flavor to that character to make her have something going on. Doesn't really factor into anything. Although, I guess maybe they did that because she says those things about the wedding and then they turn out to happen about the weather and all that shit. Yeah. They definitely have rich kid vibes. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it's clear that Dr. T is a good man. He loves his wife. He loves his daughters. But he's super busy, obviously. So I'm not saying that it's any shortcoming or anything bad about him, but I I would imagine there's a certain amount of absenteeism in their lives, his daughter's lives. Yeah. Because look how successful he is. Right. You don't get to have an office that many floors up with all of those yeah. rich women waiting in your waiting room. He's just packing that schedule tight with appointments. Yeah. He's probably doing very well. Let's see. <laughs> Filing in 50 appointments a day. Now, you were saying that you thought about becoming a gynecologist, and huh. you still practice as an amateur. Mm. <laughs> I think I have too weak of a stomach. <laughs> Jesus. Laura Dern as Peggy, Kate's sister. She's going through a divorce and is actually living in Dr. T and Kate's home with her three young daughters. She's a little bit of an alcoholic and a handful. Sure. This is the character I relate to more, actually. She meddles into the other people's business a little bit, but again, much like everything in the film, it's very gentle. It all seems underdeveloped. Yeah, there really isn't anything too dramatic or horrible. She's just sort of around. Like I said, I kind of think to give you a little bit of a window into what Kate was kind of like mm-hmm. before the breakdown <laughs> that we keep alluding to. Totally, yeah. The breakdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what you'll be saying about me at some point <laughs> <laughs> after I take this laptop and throw it out the window while I'm doing the editing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to reference it on Twitter, slash X. An ocean of listener requests <laughs> lost in them. Hey, boy, yeah. It does keep me up at night. Among Dr. T's friend group, we have Robert Hayes as Harlan, who I'm sure you remember as the dad from Homeward Bound. Oh, that's right. <laughs> he was also an airplane and shit like that. Okay. But he looked familiar to me. I did not place him from Homeward Bound, even though I did watch that movie a million times as a kid. I don't blame you, though, because you never really get a great look at him. Yeah, I know. Which I think is kind of weird. At the end of the movie when he shows up, it's hard to even, it's like, is that a guy that was in this movie? Well, it's just strange because he's the one that is referenced later 
as the thing with Bree. Right, right. And then he shows up at the house, right? That's I thought that was supposed to be Harlan pulling up to her house after Dr. T takes off. Oh, I might have missed that. Okay. But yeah, well, she seemingly went to New Orleans with him. Yeah, yeah. But we'll get there. That's a little bit down the road. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Matt Malloy is Bill, and then, oddly enough, Andy Richter. I yes, know. Yes, that Andy Richter as Shocking. Eli. Right. <laughs> with a couple of good lines. Dr. T's dream life starts to crack when Kate begins suffering from something called Hestia Complex, a rare type of stigmatization syndrome among wealthy women which causes her to recede into a strange state when she strips naked in a shopping mall fountain after wandering away from Peggy, Dee Dee, and Connie, she is eventually committed to a state mental hospital. So this is the conceit of the film, and it's also invented for the purposes of the film. It feels really weird to say this, but I'm reminded of something I was talking about when we did Vanilla Sky, which is that bizarre pre-9-11 optimism and I think something this absurd and this made up could only exist in that little window. It yeah. probably started in 99, and then by 9-11, that was the final nail. It was over. Right. And you you could not get away with this whimsical kind of stuff in a movie and still smile and think it was fine. True. But there was a time period where you could just sort of say, yeah, this is a funny mental illness but it's not funny i guess is my point it's it, it is actually weird and sad and you're making it up right but the movie is making like a, a goof of it kind of yeah nobody ever seems to get too down it's supposed to impact his character the richard gear character it is supposed to cut him deep but i don't know he kind of moves along with things pretty quickly afterwards yeah i think the movie's saying that he's too stressed and too busy to even process yeah. what's happening the weight of the movie never feels like you would even think about it that way. It's so light. This Hestia complex comes from women who are too loved, mm. too pampered, yeah. too put on a pedestal, which is an unfortunate phrase considering his line of work, I guess, because there is definitely a, a way of summing it up for oh, him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to say it. You may have thought it. You may know exactly <laughs> what I mean, but I didn't say it. Farrah Fawcett said in an interview that she had always refused roles that required nudity. In fact, she turned down the lead in Basic Instinct because of it. How but about that? Can you imagine Basic Instinct with Farrah Fawcett? It wouldn't be as good. No. She doesn't have that killer instinct. Yeah. Farrah Fawcett seemed like she was really nice. Yeah. As I wouldn't want to go Stone. down a dark alley with Sharon Stone <laughs> <laughs> coming up the other side. She kind of scares me yeah, a little bit. Yeah, she does seem like she could cut you. But when this role came up, she had no problem stripping completely. When the Dr. T role came, she said it was different. It made sense. My character was vulnerable and suffering. And also, it's a Robert Altman film, and his characters are always interesting. It was definitely worth it. I'm glad she feels that way, that it was definitely worth it. It's not a big deal because yeah. even though she is completely naked, the water yeah, it is from like... the fountain is obscuring it mostly. Mm -hmm. And it's not really that exploited. No, I don't think so. I just don't know if this character is that interesting. And she's not in the film as much as I was thinking. Yeah. I kind of thought from this opening that she would be in it a lot more. And then a lot of the movie, she's not really in it. Right. To make Fawcett more comfortable for her nude scene in The Fountain, director Robert Altman had cleared the entire stage of people except for himself, the director of photography, and the sound recordist. To everyone's surprise, she refused to do the scene without the crowd. 
stating she was not at all embarrassed by her naked body. So the extras were let in. She performed the scene completely naked and received a standing ovation from the crowd afterwards. Hmm. If you pay attention, though, there are a ton of extras. Yeah. And they are all women. Well, good. Which is good. Yeah. But also fits with the movie. Because I think most of the people you see in this film are women. The extras, granted, his little friend group is men. And at the end, at the wedding, you see a few men and stuff. But it is heavily populated. It's a world of women. Yes. Pretty much intentionally. So Hestia is from Greek religion and mythology, meaning hearth or fireside. She is the virgin goddess of the hearth and the home. In myth, she is the first unborn child of the Titans Cronus and Rhea and one of the 12 Olympians. Lee Grant swoops in as Dr. Harper. She explains this to Dr. T, and even though he is supposed to be a doctor, he believes this. (laughs) You would think another doctor would say, you're making this up, this isn't real. But he goes along with it, and I guess the audience is supposed to as well. They try... Some manipulative moves, I think, to get the audience to let go of Kate because they show her taking off the wedding ring. They show her rebuffing her husband's kiss attempts. They want us to think, okay, he can move on. (laughs) I know that it's sort of strange, but in this type of movie, they don't want the audience to turn against the main character when he does what he's about to do. Oh, yeah. He still has to come off as a good guy, so there has to be enough evidence that it's time to move on from his wife. What I'm asking you is, is there? I don't, <laughs> is there actually enough evidence for that? It doesn't feel that way. Because if he's such a great guy, I feel like he bails pretty quick. I know. It is one of the more questionable acts on his behalf because it's not even just at the moment where it happens. As time goes on, he just is very quick to accept this. Whereas in the beginning, they make it seem like he's really devoted. Yeah, because he says at one point that Dr. Harper is not letting him see her, although when he actually goes to the hospital, he does see her, Mm -hmm. and that feels like the only time he actually tries. Yeah, in that scene, it feels like there's something there, but it also seems like he's being irresponsible by leaving her there. I get that his wife is saying, I don't want to be married, I'm not married, I'm a child now, you can't kiss me, you can't do this, you can't do that. If she was in the right state of mind, then yeah, it's time to get a divorce and move on. But she has some, she can't, you can't just <laughs> expect us as the audience to be like, yeah, she means these things. This is so on the up to, and up. You have to take all of this at face value and just go with it. Mm-hmm. Now, if this movie had a darker or an edgier vibe to it, that would all be fine then. You could say, well, he's fed up. He wants to fulfill his needs. But that's not what this movie is, Well, really. and is there not a lawsuit pending against this orderly? Something seems, like, immoral about what's going on there. Which part are you talking about? The orderly that takes her to the wedding. Oh, well, isn't Dr. Harper there, too? Oh, maybe. I think I Dr. Harper's that. there. Okay. Yeah. I thought there was an implied romantic connection with the orderly. Didn't I didn't get, get that, that no. but maybe there was something I missed. I don't okay. know. Well, hopefully not, because... Yeah, well, that would definitely be... Yeah, Really inappropriate. Yes. And if that is a sight gag in it, then that's something that doesn't age well. <laughs> right, totally. Very unethical.
right now I am not ruling anything out. I'm not ruling anything out, especially since I personally have never had a case like Kate's before. But I am looking into a lot of possibilities. One of which is called the Hestia complex. Hestia complex? What is it? What is it? Hestia was a Greek goddess. She was the goddess of the home and the hearth. She kept the fires burning. She was the guardian of family life. But in an interesting contradiction, she came to despise love and consequently to reject it. Eventually, she retreated into a single life and, uh, and peculiarly was allowed to become the guardian of virginal modesty. Uh, what has all this got to do with Kate? Ah, uh, Kate. Yes, in clinical psychology, as well as in my own documented theories, which are based in mythology, yeah. virgin essentially means child. Mm -hmm. Now, Kate has retreated into a childlike state. We don't know why. There could be any number of reasons for it. But at this point, and yes, I must... I must look into all the possibilities, but at this point, the Hestia complex just seems to be the most likely. <laughs> In the immediate aftermath of Kate's diagnosis, though, it's difficult for Dr. T to explain to his family what's going on, and this kind of blends in with what we were talking about before with the staging of some of these scenes. I found it odd that the scene where he's explaining Kate's situation to Peggy, Dee Dee, and Connie is taking place in his office. The nutcase parade just waltzes into his office loud and crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then that's where he's telling his two daughters what's going on with their mother, who now seems to be completely insane. The family dynamic here is definitely questionable. That feels like a conversation that should be taking place at home. Yeah, maybe like a, a quiet dinner. <laughs> Dee Dee is a student at SMU and an alternate for the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders. Although not too serious about her career there. Yeah. Well, in all fairness, she's planning a wedding. True. She's a little distracted. Yeah. She's Sometimes she has to take a call. <laughs> yeah. This is another scene which I think they probably did this like that because cell phones were still novel yeah. and it felt like a, a new bit where your cell phone is ringing in your purse or whatever and it upsets everyone and you get in trouble but 23 years down the line this felt like an ancient joke <laughs> yeah. where you're like oh my god and why is she telling her sister all of this information in a cell phone conversation during I, cheerleading practice i know it seems it's not like they don't get to see each other we've seen a lot of them being together so far Anyway, she tells Connie about her choice for maid of honor being Marilyn, her college friend who lives in Houston. Connie does not seem to support that decision. However, at this point in time, we don't know why, but she's well, upset about it. Turns out there's some backstory here that will reveal itself. Connie, on the other hand, as I said, is a conspiracy theorist, just wearing assorted berets, smoking cigs. <laughs> yeah, isn't her job hosting like jfk tours grassy knoll tours yeah yeah i should say jfk assassination tours a lot of early cell phone material going on she's constantly on a cell phone it really wasn't the year 2000 that i remember i didn't get a cell phone until 2002 
I don't really remember this much cell phone conversations going on in the year 2000. They, they no. really like hit this hard in this movie for some reason. I was in high school in 2001, and none of my classmates had cell phones or anything at that point. Yeah, I was a senior in high school in 02, and that's when I got one. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like it, it would be expensive. I'd say then, so, yeah. To be doing all these phone calls. Although their dad is a wealthy doctor. so That is true. They are living the high life. At Dr. T's golf club, Bree played by Helen Hunt, mm-hmm. the new golf pro, gets accidentally soaked by the automatic sprinklers. Dr. T comes along at the right moment, offers a dry towel, and the two decide to play a round of golf together. Their meeting is foreshadowed by that semi-off-color joke they were making about meeting a woman for the first time when she's soaking wet, mm-hmm. which I think they're talking about it being bad luck, and they're literally meeting soaking wet as in the rain and the pool or a sprinkler. But I think one of the friends makes one of those insinuations because he's a gynecologist uh-huh. about a different kind of wet. Yeah, we and got it. Yeah, that's the thing. There's something about to be revealed about Dee Dee and then, that, and then the whole concept of him being a gynecologist. Those two things I think they thought were kind of shocking I know in 2000. And it ultimately kind of makes the movie age weird because a lot of the material you're like, all right guys, enough with this lowbrow. Maybe you make a joke. Maybe you make like vagina jokes the first day, you know, this guy, if you're those kind of people, every hunting. Yeah. How many times, like how many years do you know this guy now? You're still, (laughs) although it's weird. Everyone's including their wives or his patients. So it's kind of wild. I love how often these guys are going hunting together. And then the one guy like towards the end is like, oh, we should have a dude's trip. <laughs> what is all this? That these you guys are just afternoon doing, like, hangouts. Yeah. I guess that's what it's like living in Texas. You just hunt for two hours yeah. and come back. <laughs> I don't know. I guess people probably do that everywhere. I don't know. I'm not a hunter. I'm out of touch with that world. Yeah. Shockingly. Yeah. <laughs> We're too busy. I would podcast. be watching the deer hunter. That's the closest I can come to it. Technically, though, this isn't the first time that they meet, but I guess, I don't know. It's the first time they hang out, Mm -hmm. and now she's wet. In addition to Connie being upset about the maid of honor choice being Marilyn, there's also a lot of indoor-outdoor wedding debate. That conversation seems to go on forever. Did you think that the conspiracy theory thing was supposed to tie into her being prophetic about the rain and the weather on the wedding is that what that i didn't was supposed to take be? it that way but well i'm just trying to figure out why they gave her conspiracy theories as a a thing to be into. a character trait yeah. and then she's also the one that's like really hung up on the wedding being outside and then the weather plays a huge part i don't know yeah i don't know she has some supernatural abilities that's clear as we get into the movie though the romantic comedy chess pieces start to fall into place we have a man at the center who seems to be a nice guy, but for whatever reason... It's not working out. The marriage situation isn't happening. You can debate whether or not the movie does a good enough job in taking the wife out of that equation, but I think you get what the point is. The wife's out of the equation. All of a sudden, he's met this new woman at the golf club. She seems really great. She wants to drive the fucking golf cart. She has a semi-masculine job. She has a strong personality. She's an athlete. Yeah. I think the point is that she's supposed to be completely different from the other women in the movie. Right. But I don't know that she's actually that different. I don't know if it plays that way, even though it feels like that's there. Yeah. I kind of took it to be more just he likes her. The end. 
it's not because she's different from his wife, even though I think that's probably what they meant it to be. And the only reason I feel that way, again, is because we didn't really know Kate before the breakdown. The breakdown happens within the first five or so minutes I of the movie. I guess the one thing, there is a neediness with him from a lot of these other women in his life. Oh, yeah. That's the patients not, are yeah. just hovering. Right. His nurses and people working in his office are hovering. His daughters are hovering. Mm-hmm. Peggy is hovering. And now Bree is just hanging out. And his wife has now become this right. huge problem. Yes. And then, yes, Bree seems cool. She's very independent. She's an athlete. She's calling the shots. Assertive. Yeah. yeah. It's subtle, but mm-hmm. it's there. Uh-huh. They've advanced to a dinner invitation. They have a playful, easy rapport. Things are going very smoothly. Things are going very quickly. I know. I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, geez, a couple rounds of golf, and he's like going right for it. It starts off with, I think he asked if she wants to get a drink, and then immediately ups it to dinner. Yeah. Well, no, it's more, he does ask for dinner, but he says restaurant, and then she escalates it to being a more private affair right she's like i know a better place yeah. and then it cuts at first i was like wow this is a cool restaurant there's <laughs> like a fountain and a, and then you're like oh they're at her apartment complex but then when you go in there her place is like super nice yeah it's a condo with a little yeah loft one of the more interesting elements about dr t and the women though might be unintentional i'm not really sure i think that it's fascinating that there's this inherent misogyny misogyny is sounds strong it's a little bit more sexist or chauvinist that sounds a little that's more fair but it's a world of women created by a woman and it's definitely a little bit more of a feminine perspective of a chauvinist world i don't know but maybe to give both altman and and rap the benefit of the doubt maybe some of this was intentional maybe they were going for a more heightened world at a certain point i do think it started to feel that way especially once you get to the ending of the movie then i think you can look back on the rest of the movie and be like oh maybe this was a little bit more intentional right maybe some of the things we're seeing in the film are just from dr t's perspective meaning in his head, the women are fighting to get into his office. In his head, they're almost enjoying the actual act of him, you know, whatever he's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Down there. No, you get what I'm saying. Maybe some of that is, is supposed to be just from his perspective. It, it's not exactly 100% accurate the way we're seeing it. Right. In other words, when we get to that scene with Carolyn later, maybe some of that was more his version of what was happening Mm -hmm. and it wasn't but i don't know you're not really sure there's never an indication but that ending allows you to have a little bit more flexive and and freedom when it comes to exploring different things oh yeah i still think that dr t as a film worships at the altar of women much like its main character it just is a little dated yeah i think so i guess if you're gonna be kind Mm -hmm. i think it's more dated than than anything than wrong or something like that yeah that's fair it just presents some of this stuff in a in a more 90s sitcom kind of way of for thinking sure about things. That, that's a good way of putting men it. are from yeah. mars women are from venus yeah that kind of stuff <laughs> every episode of king of queens <laughs> king of queens. everybody loves raymond yeah <laughs> accepting dr t's offer for dinner Bree says she knows a better place than his suggested restaurant turns out she meant her own condo there's not really a lot of subtlety. She's no. confident and charming. 
turning on the stereo and starting the grill on the balcony. Very smooth and graceful with this whole thing. She puts some Lyle Lovett on. Lyle Lovett actually did the score of the film. It reminds me of the scores from Alexander Payne movies, and so does the tone and the vibe of this movie. I'm not saying that it's quite on the same level as Election or Sideways Mm. or anything like that, but or even about Schmidt, but it seems like it could take place in that same world. Yeah. There's a similar tone, for sure. I think so, yeah. At one point, Brie goes upstairs. It's loft style, so it's visible from down below, and walks nude from one room to another in order to shower. That's a move. It's a peculiar situation for not only Dr. T, but also the audience, because we know what's happening. It's a seduction. Sure. I don't think she's just walking nude up there before dinner well, for no reason. Well, it was a reason. weird move. Hey, I'm going to go take a shower. Thanks for coming over. I threw some steaks on the grill. I'm going to go take a shower. Well, yeah, but I think that's intentional. You know, I agree. <laughs> that's what women do when they're trying to make a move. <laughs> hey, check this out. <laughs> and usually the man is so fucking clueless. Oh, yeah. Like they're walking out to the car being like, I don't know, maybe I should have made a move. The woman is just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I walked naked from one room to another right in front of him, and he didn't even say anything. Well, she's got a lot on her mind. You know, you start convincing yourself that... She does know that he's married. Yeah. And she does know what's going on with his wife. Mm -hmm. Even though we never have a scene where he tells her that, she asks at one point. So she's aware. Well, these two just had a dynamite game of golf. Sometimes you just can't help the forces of nature. The podcast itself, maybe not that many minutes have gone by, but... In terms of screen time, it's been a long time now since we've seen Kate, his wife. She's just gone. And now he's over there with Bree. After dinner, Bree takes a bottle of wine upstairs. You know what's going on. Oh, yeah. Matt. Sure do. You know what's going on. Absolutely. Briefly hesitating, Dr. T follows her up, and they become lovers. In the immediate aftermath of this revelation, he's out with the boys again, and (laughs) these scenes are mostly disposable to me, but I don't know. Maybe our listeners can weigh in. Do you think it's fucking weird? His friends' wives are his patients? I I thought that was weird. It does seem like a conflict of interest. I I don't know. (laughs) Like That's a weird way of putting it. A conflict of interest. (laughs) I'm interested in being a doctor, but I'm also interested in your wife's (laughs) vagina. (laughs) Actually, that's the reason he became a gynecologist. Specifically? Yeah. But yeah, it is weird going over for dinner. I'm not saying he's not professional. I know there's some women that would only go to a female gynecologist. I don't want to get into that whole thing. That's your own personal choice. But he is professional. He doesn't do anything inappropriate in the movie. or He's not a creep. Or anything like no, that. No, in in no. fact, he's the complete opposite. This is not opposite. that movie, yeah. He's too good of a guy in the movie, which is maybe kind of the point, too. But I just think that's way too personal and weird and just inappropriate. Yeah. There should be certain boundaries with your friends or your uh, family. Well, yeah. They never address it, but I don't think Peggy should be his patient either. I just think that that's weird. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is what people who are related to gynecologists do. If I'm way off base, feel free to email in. But I just find that kind of strange that he would be. And I would think that for most doctors, not just an intimate body part, but most doctor stuff, I think that there should be a level of privacy with your doctor because then 
if you have to socialize with that person outside of that relationship, then it becomes they know things about you maybe you don't want to share with other people. You know it what I'm saying? It is weird. What about STDs or what about something embarrassing or something? You know, there's lots of things that a gynecologist could be involved with that you might not want. I do think people would generally like to keep those worlds separate. And I'm not saying he would violate, he would do like a HIPAA violation or anything, <laughs> but still, he's there having that knowledge, though. Oh, sure. You're having to face him at a PTA meeting? <laughs> <laughs> and he knows about the gonorrhea? <laughs> It gets weird, and then later with Marilyn, that is, like, really wild. Totally. And then you start thinking- I, That doesn't even make sense. Do his daughters go to him, then? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? This is all unfamiliar ground for me, so I, I might be, yeah. like, way off, and I might be making a big deal out of something that other people think is not a big deal, but- He's oh. just like the Michael Jordan of gynecologists. Like, everyone goes there, so- it's just a fact of life that everyone's accepted that he's the gynecologist that people want to go to. The other thing that comes in the aftermath of him doing the deed with Bree is that he still says that he cannot see Kate. He's not allowed. There seems to be a buffer with Dr. Harper. I don't or understand the hospital. this. How can they make this be a, the way? This isn't really a realistic movie. It's yeah. more of a whimsical movie where they're not getting into the like the nitty gritty details. There's like some court order that he's not allowed to see her. No, it's just the doctor's suggestion. Yeah. And it's probably because he's a doctor too that he just goes along with the diagnosis that if they say that it wouldn't be good, then I guess it wouldn't be good, so I shouldn't do it. I think if he really was adamant and insisted, because he does eventually see her. Yeah, but in all fairness that line of thinking can actually be applied to a lot of romantic comedies, that oh, whimsical sure. yeah. reality rather than straight reality, because sometimes you just need to grease the wheels yeah, to make the story go. Create some barriers that the character needs to get over or get past. If you wanted to make a really gritty, edgy medical drama about a wife that has a mental condition, then you can make that movie, but that's not what this movie is. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly... Both Rap and Altman have metaphor in mind. I don't really think that you're supposed to take all uh, of sure. this stuff super yeah. literally. Hestia complex. No. Yeah. The relationship is He's, not. She's too loved. Blue Valentine. <laughs> you said Blue Valentine, and I get what you mean now. But when you first said it, I thought Blue Velvet for a minute. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking of not Laura Dern, but Jeffrey Beaumont and what's her yeah. name? The singer. Uh-huh. Isabella Rosalina. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that is a weird relationship. And then maybe if you want to go to the Dennis Hopper <laughs> relationship. <laughs> I know. Well, Blue Valentine also has a gynecologist scene that's very cold and uncomfortable. Yeah. What I would imagine is more. Yeah. That's the gritty version of Dr. T and the Women. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's the double feature you didn't know you needed. No. <laughs> <laughs> Water's nice. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you cold? No, I'm okay. okay. You cold? A little bit. <laughs> you know, if we sit here long enough, we can probably see the Lady of the Lake. Who's that? You know, Lady of the Lake. Mm -hmm. It's a famous legend. No? Okay, well, this woman in this in this flowing white exotic negligee <laughs> <laughs> she 
She drowned. I'm serious. She drowned because of a broken heart. Really? And yeah, and she appears to couples who hang out around the lake who are really in love. And she either cries for help or she just cries. It's really sad, mournful mm. cry. Yeah. And I, I believe it. I mean, people swear it's true. I believe it. We finally learn the reason Connie thinks it's a bad idea for Marilyn to be Dee Dee's maid of honor. Turns out they're a little more than just friends. They're actually lovers. Marilyn is portrayed by the always angelic Liv Tyler. Totally. Always fun to see her. Well, yeah, and there's kind of a weird meta relationship between these two when you think about Kate Hudson's character in Almost Famous. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because that, isn't that kind of, well, supposedly inspired by Liv Tyler's mom? Yeah, one of the people. Yeah. That's true, yeah. I wonder if they talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> Kate Hudson told Vanity Fair in January of 2003 that Liv Tyler was her best on-screen kiss. She added that she regretted that they didn't, quote, go for it. It'd make the kiss a lot more passionate. Wow. What if I would have ended that sentence at go for it? What would you have thought that that meant? <laughs> Dated? Gotten <Yeah>. married? <laughs> would have been like, there's still time. Yeah. Bring it back. <laughs> okay. At the risk of sounding a little crass. Please. These are the two things that the movie is putting in your face as being shocking mm-hmm. and may have been perceived as shocking by a certain audience in the year 2000, which now seems wildly dated. Number one. Wouldn't it be weird to look at that many vaginas all day? That is a big part of this movie. Whether you want to admit it or not, they are going for that with some of the jokes between him and his friends. Oh, for sure. Between some of the weird situations. It's it's definitely putting it right in your face, <laughs> which is a weird way of putting it. About <laughs> Yeah, really. It's his friend's wives. It's yeah. his daughter's lover. It's all these people. It's very in your face, and that's supposed to be shocking. And then the second thing... Holy shit, his daughter is a lesbian. And yeah, that's the other thing. We'll get to that in a minute, but there does seem to be some bi erasure here where being bisexual is not even a consideration. It's mostly with his reaction, right? Because I don't think the other characters are acting that way. No, that's what Connie says. Connie keeps insisting she's a lesbian. That's what she tells her dad. I know. But is Connie saying it in a way that she thinks it's crazy? He reacts like it's a lot to take on. But I thought she was coming from the perspective of she is like, my sister should not get married because. No, I think that's how he's taking it, too. Okay, I think the fact that she's pushing forward with the wedding, because he does even say to Bree, I just want her to be happy. Yeah. okay. I think he's okay with it, but he's afraid that she's doing something impetuous and not being truthful. Yeah. That there's a secret life here, and okay. she's not being who she really is. But he does act like uh, it's a lot to process. Oh, well, it definitely is. Yeah. I think even in the more enlightened time that we're in now, it's still a lot to process, potentially, for a parent. But I think in the hectic run-up to a wedding to a man... Yeah. especially is, It since, does come out of nowhere, yeah. Well, especially since they're not even acknowledging that being bisexual is a possibility. Oh, sure. They're just yeah. acting like right. she's just a liar at this point oh, that's okay, kind of yeah. how the movie treats yeah it. okay you're right yeah because they never say that word connie just says she's a lesbian mm-hmm. 
Dr. T does finally convince the hospital to let him see Kate, and it's a startling revelation. She is now completely childlike and now barely connected to her previous life. Dr. T is clearly shaken when his wife introduces him to her fellow patients as her brother. Yikes. By the way, is there no coming back from this? We don't know. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean when they don't really treat this with any gravity and they keep it all very light and whimsical and upbeat. Exactly, because I got to tell you, when you start thinking about that... Because it doesn't seem too different from real things like dementia or Alzheimer's and that kind of stuff where sometimes they do remember their... The flip of a switch. Right, yeah. Like no regression, just... Yeah. One day everything's normal whatever version of normal was for her and then it but it's not even that she's remembering her life as a child or she thinks she's herself as a child it's almost as if she's no longer herself at all yeah i know she's almost like starting over as a new person (laughs) or something it does sort of feel like a path toward a future for dr t and brie is conveniently being cleared here instead of the wife being an awful bitch the audience won't care about or equally unfaithful as him so she deserves it or just killed off entirely she's actually just disappearing into mental illness which (laughs) the movie tries to treat as if it's a happier version than than those other choices the movie's implying it's a good thing well better than what i those other things i listed yeah being awful well cheating or being dead True. And yeah, I would say that it is better than being dead, but it's almost as if the screenwriter doesn't have the guts just to have Dr. T wake up one morning and want to change his life. He was that guy that he was up until a day, Mm -hmm. and then he decides he's not happy. Make the change be him. It almost seems like it's a movie about a midlife crisis, but you're making the (laughs) the change happen indirectly first. Right. Make it happen to the wife first, and then he's almost reacting to it rather than it being him, which is what the story seems like at once. Yep. From her husband's perspective, it's becoming clear that his affection will not be enough to revive her old psyche. It's a world of women. The city council meeting is all women or mostly women. They're meeting about naming a highway after a woman. That's right. It's all women there. It's all women in his office. It's all women at the mall. Yeah. It's mostly women in the hospital with Kate. Definitely some feminist tones here, especially with everything going on with the naming of the highway. Yeah, but do you think they're almost satirizing false feminism? Maybe. Meaning empty feminism? Like naming a a highway is pointless. These women are still bored and not really living their own lives. A lot of the people pushing the highway thing are, I guess, his patients. That is true. And they're all, they seem to all be like upper class. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what definitely what they're satirizing. Yeah. Yeah. Bored upper class women because working class people in Dallas probably couldn't afford to go to Dr. T. And a lot of those women wouldn't have the luxury of living comfortably at home, not working. They would Mm -hmm. probably be working themselves and it seems like this movie is satirizing bored housewives in a sense by making so. one go crazy. Sure. Saying, okay, look, you hit the lottery. You have a rich husband who's not an asshole, who doesn't cheat on you, who is great. He worships you, adores you, loves his daughters, is a great husband, great provider, and it's on you then to make your own life. And if you don't and just sit there doing nothing, then maybe you'll go crazy. <laughs> 
I yeah. don't know. Do you think that's something that we could take from this? <laughs> it does seem like it's a part of it. Things are continuing to advance with Bree. She is providing some friendship and comfort during this difficult time. However, I was thinking, would you dare try this storyline with a physical malady rather than a mental one, even in the year 2000? So say Kate had terminal cancer instead. No, you would never do that. Good Lord, no. Because doesn't it kind of feel like Dr. T is abandoning his wife during her time of need a little bit? It feels like we should feel that way. I don't feel like the movie wants you to feel that way. No, no, no. The movie definitely doesn't want you to feel that way. But it seems like if you stop and think about it. You're like, this is pretty horrible, isn't it? Yeah. But the movie never plays it that way. No. During yet another extremely chaotic afternoon at Dr. T's office, Peggy and her three kids, plus Connie and Dee Dee, all stop by. Not really sure why exactly. They just stop by and then start leaving. And when everyone else heads out, Connie makes an excuse to stay behind. While that's happening, Bree arrives to see Dr. T, not as a patient, but socially. Some of these scenes, when you get to the office, it feels like you've already seen it. Because the same patients are always in there? Yeah, Yeah. right, yeah. (laughs) Bree waits in the waiting room, too. I did appreciate that the movie did not go to the place where Bree was going to be a patient of his. Oh, gosh. Because that would have been a bridge way too far. Yeah, right. But I did kind of get nervous for a second when she comes into the room or into the office. I was like, what's going on now? She comes in as a patient. And she's like, I heard you're the best. Wade Garrett's the best. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam Elliott steps out of the closet. <laughs> Connie takes her opportunity to reveal to her father that Dee Dee and her maid of honor, Marilyn, are lovers. You can't let Dee Dee get married. <laughs> Why not? Bart's a really nice guy. He, uh... He adores her, worships her. Can't imagine that he won't be a really great husband to her. Unless there's something about him. I should know that I don't. No, but there's something you should know about Dee Dee that you don't. What is it? I'm serious, she is. And I hate to be the one that has to tell you this. I really am, but that girl from Houston, her so-called maid of honor, Marilyn, I didn't think I was gonna have to tell you this, Dad. I really didn't. Okay, Dad, remember when Dee Dee was down at Houston before she transferred back up here to SMU? Yeah. Yeah. She and Marilyn had a, you know, um, a thing. Are you sure about this? Dad, I'm positive. Remember last year when I went to go surprise Dee Dee on her birthday? Well, let's just say I surprised her, all right? Dad, I surprised all three of us. And I didn't say anything because I thought Dee Dee was just experimenting or trying something new. And, you know, she would do it one or two times and it wasn't really a big deal. You know, it was like a college thing and whatever, but... That girl, Marilyn, has been up here several times for dress fittings, and I can tell you Connie, something that it is not over between them. I don't know what to say. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Dad. I really am. I know that you got your own worries right now about Mom and, and Peggy moving back in with you with her kids. Hey, Dr. T, the Phillies are getting a little restless. <laughs> oh, 
Um, bye. Anyway, uh, I gotta get back down to the museum. More evidences came in today about the real John Wilkes Booth hiding and living, guess where? Enid, Oklahoma, until 1903. So I know I'm gonna get like a zillion questions about it today. Um, and then we could talk about mom later too and talk about Peggy too and her kids because they seem really unhappy and disoriented living with us, don't you think? I do. But more importantly, I think we should definitely discuss this Marilyn thing, okay? Bye. Daddy? Yes? Don't worry about me at all, okay? Everything's fine with me, really. Again, this scene is a little unfortunate because I think that their hearts are in the right place. They thought that they were being progressive and interesting and new and ahead of its time. And look, Kate Hudson, who is a big-time actress and a new star on the scene, is playing a lesbian. That's cool, right? Oh, yeah. But they just sort of missed the mark by the standards we hold today. Now, personally, I'm not blaming them or calling them out or no, anything yeah. dumb like that. But I'm just saying that it jumps out to you now that oh, sure. it doesn't even cross their minds that Dee Dee could be bisexual, which makes a lot more sense to me if she's somehow got a, a relationship, relationship to the yeah. point where they're engaged. But whatever, they're just immediately saying she's mm-hmm. a lesbian, and that's all they say. I found the scene that comes after this between Bree and Dr. T where he tells her about Dee Dee to be very strange. Probably one of the weirdest in the movie, actually. Yeah. Except for the ending. This might be the weirdest. Because it seems like they've hung out twice. The golf round, then they go to dinner and have sex. Mm-hmm. This, as far as we know, seems like the third time they've hung out. Now, the movie might be suggesting by what they're saying that they've hung out a bunch now, but we haven't seen it. Yeah, it doesn't feel that way. And there is a lot of familiarity going on with what they're saying. She's saying things like, I've never seen you like this before. My reaction was, (laughs) how many times have you seen him, period? Yeah, you've seen him three times. Two out of three times he wasn't like this. If you saw him ten times, what if the what if the next seven times he was like this? <laughs> that means you were seeing him in rare instances before. She's also insisting that he tell her these personal details in a way that feels very long term relationshipy. Because if you just start dating someone, especially in their age range, which mm-hmm. is hovering around middle age, although I believe Helen Hunt wasn't even 40 yet. I don't know how old Richard Gere is. He always has had white hair in my mind. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So it's hard to tell. But they're at an age where their lives are very established. So when you start dating someone new, you don't necessarily do a big-time dump of all the information right away. I will say, though, these these two will try to one-up each other over who can be more embarrassing for a short time in a relationship. It just seems weird, though, that she's wanting that, though. She's like, no, tell me, tell me. But I don't know. That felt weird to me how fast that they've gotten really, to this. Getting a gauge on her character and what she wants out of this is tough. Well, that is a question you can ask at the movie. What are you supposed to think about her? Because, yeah, I got the sense that it was weird, too, Because you would think, acts. based on how she is the rest of the movie past this, you wouldn't expect this here. Because you would expect her to be more flighty. Yeah, this contradicts what comes later, for yep. sure. Unless the big New Orleans trip oh, turned her head. Change, yeah. Harlan. Harlan had some moves. Yeah. 
So yeah, she mentions going to New Orleans. She's heading out of town. Not really a lot is made of it, but she does mention it. Absolute pandemonium going on out in the waiting room. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. He literally is a rock star yeah, gynecologist. I know. <laughs> Admittedly, some weird things for Bree to overhear before she does go back and have that conversation with him when mm-hmm. she's in the waiting room because they're saying crazy stuff. They're talking about their sex lives and almost equating that with this, which I thought yeah, was kind of weird. Another thing, yeah. During all of this, his fucking lawyer calls and tells him that Kate wants a divorce now. <laughs> Way to drop that bombshell. Carolyn is always around, looming, lingering, meddling, overhearing, just being there. This is her moment. A little too involved, really. Yeah. I don't know. I could use a Carolyn in my life. And then tensions flare up in the waiting room where that old woman trips that other lady who has returned again. She yeah. keeps coming back. Andy Richter's wife? Yeah, well, I wasn't going to reveal that oh, yet yeah. because that revelation hadn't it hadn't occurred to me that that's who it was until after this. But You yeah. can put it together in one of their earlier conversations, though. Right, but it didn't really hit yeah. me But yeah, that that's who they were talking about because this woman is a lot taller than Andy Richter, but also very beautiful. Stunning, really. And it was shocking. Yeah. It was shocking to me. Well, what movies used to imply about what unattractive, out-of-shape men could attract in terms of women. Yeah. I mean, it's really infuriating. Well, sitcoms were the worst. Yeah. But yeah, movies too. Now, this is a weird question I have to ask, but did you get the impression that she was actually a hypochondriac, that she always thought she had something wrong with her? Or were they suggesting that she was getting a thrill out of her visits and was like doing this intentionally to keep getting wanna, his attention or something? I don't want to overstep and reveal anything about myself that would send us down the wrong path. But I thought the latter. I thought that that's what the movie was suggesting. That's pretty gross and grim. I agree, and which is why I feel bad if that's not what was meant. But it does feel like they're having a well, good... Like, I think like it's that's fair to at least kind of think that. Yeah. The cover story then would be the hypochondria, which yeah. is I always think I have something wrong with me, so I keep coming back and keep coming back. And the way that she freaks guess, out, though, I feel like the hypochondriac is still kind of on the table. I do. She I, gets very yeah. upset. You know what? It's more likely that the hypochondriac thing is 100% real, and you just feel the other way because of the vibe of everything else. Because these girls are all showing up every day. Like, like yeah. It's like Beatlemania <laughs> with this freaking doctor. Yeah, it's a little bit of both, I yeah. guess. I don't know. But it's very dark for Andy Richter, who's supposed to be his friend. Yeah, I know. Again, that's what I thought it was weird that <laughs> goes beyond the good looks and everything. He's also like always complimenting these women, and they love that. Okay, let me ask you this. Okay. Let's say one of your friends mm-hmm. was a gynecologist. Sure. Now, what would you think if your wife went there? Wouldn't you think that was weird? Even if somehow someone like you got to the point where you could just sort of compartmentalize it and put it out of your head, you certainly wouldn't be hanging out with this guy making somewhat vagina-related jokes, <laughs> which they do. Yeah, I don't think so. I just think it's really fucking weird that they're friends. Know. Look, I will tell you, I'm not that far removed from a gynecologist in my life that's a woman, and there are women that she knows that goes. I know that's a different situation. Yeah, that's a million percent different. No, I know. I don't know. It's hard to put yourself in those shoes, but I don't think I would ever want to go with to someone I know. To your point earlier about not just the gender part, but doctors. Like, would do you want? Oh, you're saying her own friends go? 
is what you're saying. Not her best friends, but people that are part of her life. Well, I guess it would just depend on how close her relationship yeah. is. I don't know. I don't know. That's I, different, though. That's a whole different I question. I totally agree, but I th- I'm saying I'm all the way on the side of I don't think that I really want to go to anyone that I know for those things. For sure, yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe we're, we're being a little immature about it, but the intimacy of that kind of doctor, it just seems very strange. But yeah. in these high societies, people socialize and become friends after the fact. You never know. He could have been the doctor first, and then they're rich, he's rich. Mm-hmm. They become friends after. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying, and that is, would be different, I guess, if you were friends after. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it's probably not that big of a deal, and people are able to sort of compartmentalize it. I'm a way more private person. I just don't want anyone in my life really to know <laughs> anything that's going on. No, I get it. I'm the you same know? way. But there's a literal assault in the waiting room where oh, Andy Richter's yeah. wife is tripped. She was being an obnoxious bitch, but. Obviously, she didn't deserve this. This oh, old lady trips her. Yeah. She falls and right. hits her head yeah. on the table in the waiting room. I was thinking of that Ted from fucking Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the character that yeah. breaks his neck on the table. And he just has like, <laughs> a horrible life after that. Now, luckily for this woman, it was just a minor head wound. It wasn't anything else. Yeah. But, you know. Although, okay, I'll bring it up now. So that we can just talk about the wedding straight into the ending and not have to do a sidebar then. Did you find it weird that she blames Dr. T for this later? She is so pissed when they show up at the wedding, her and her husband, Andy Richter, who I won't call by whatever his character's name is. Yeah. You noticed that, right? She was furious. And even when they're out hunting before the wedding, Andy Richter says that she's going to go to a different doctor. Yeah. Why is she mad at him for this? Because he wouldn't see her right away. I don't know. That was kind of confusing. I didn't get that at all. But then, yeah, she's at the wedding. I guess it was because his front desk person wasn't taking her request seriously or something, and so she was blaming him. Yeah. I don't know. It does seem like a leap. In the immediate aftermath of having one daughter tell him that the other one, who was about to marry a man, might be gay, and then finding out that his mentally ill wife wants a divorce, Dr. T gets a bit of a shock when a new patient in his office turns out to be the aforementioned Marilyn, who Dr. T just learned is his daughter's lover. This really doesn't dawn on him until he's already having a look. (laughs) Marilyn believes she has a yeast infection as a result of stress of being Dee Dee's maid of honor. When Dr. T finally makes the connection as to who she is, he becomes embarrassed mid-examination, asks the nurse to finish, and leaves the room. Yeah, really giving himself away, as we'll find out. Luckily for him, the brawl in the waiting room provides sufficient distraction. Yeah, hi there. Hi, I'm Dr. Travis. Congratulations. First timers don't usually get the Bell Star run. Oh, I feel honored. So, uh, who's Bell Star? You're not from Dallas, are you? No. No, Maryland. Uh, so what do we got? Vaginal infection? Why don't we have a look? See what's going on here. It's gonna be very gentle. Nothing to worry about here. So, you don't know who Bell Star is, huh? Well, Bell Star is a Dallas legend. All righty. Yeah, she was a wild thing. That was really cool. There you go. Oh, thank you. 
I can't believe Dr. T would allow a little bitch like that in here. He plays golf with her husband. Oh, well, there, gives Dallas a bad name. I heard that bitch! Ah! Oh, from um well i'm originally from connecticut but i've been living in houston Ugh. houston all right so what brings you to dallas uh i'm here for a bridesmaid fitting for Dee Dee's wedding i'm her i'm her maid of honor marilyn i think i've got a yeast infection it's probably from all the wedding stress <laughs> yes uh, Dr. T, I'm so sorry, but uh, oh, we have a situation. No, come in. Come in here. Come, come in, sure. Caroline. Uh, oh, well, it's, uh, it's Dorothy. I mean, as soon as you can, you know, whenever you're Yes, yeah, I, I, no, I'll be right there. I'll oh, be right oh, there. Oh, oh, yes, thank you so thank, much. No, I, I will. Uh, uh, yes, uh, Tina, could you take, I think we do have a, a, a yeast, yes. That's what I thought, yeah. A, uh, could you do the smear for me, please? I appreciate that. I will. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is wild. So Marilyn knows Mm -hmm. that this is her ex-lover slash best friend slash I'm going to be the maid of honor at her wedding's father and yet goes there. I know. So what? (laughs) By the way, she doesn't live in town, I don't think, right? No. I think she lives in Houston. They had to come up with a reason that she was immediately going to a gynecologist. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. This isn't like an emergency room situation. It seems like she would just go to some like clinical doctor or whatever, not the specialist in this high rise. Especially because it seems like she would have to reveal herself as to who she is yeah. in order to get an appointment that's because right. he's so goddamn fucking busy that how are you coming into town and just getting an appointment I with know. this guy? <laughs> so you'd have to be like, oh, I'm Dee Dee's maid of honor. Yeah. So you would think that they would know that and it would be mentioned by one of these goddamn nurses or Carolyn who are telling him every single detail about everything. I know. I love that she could just waltz in. I guess a slot has opened up now because Andy Richter's wife is no longer a patient. Well, she's the one that's unconscious (laughs) on the floor of his waiting room (laughs) during this. Yeah, it's just really bizarre. It feels like an oddly contrived way to get them into the scene. I will admit that in terms of entertainment value, it was definitely there because it's so awkward and uncomfortable and weird. Mm -hmm. And again, the direction from Altman and the way these scenes are staged always feel very real. There's a commitment to authenticity that I definitely felt like this, at least audio-wise, is probably what an office that was busy would sound like during the year 2000 in this era. They get the overlapping stuff really well. Oh, yeah. And it all sounds very real and authentic. And it's not super overwhelming where you feel disoriented by it. It just feels like everyday life, like you're out in the world Mm -hmm. and people are talking. What did you think about the accents from the actors, though? Gear didn't even try one, which I think is always commendable. I agree. The women, it was all over the place. I know. On how big it was. They were all going for different things. I know. It doesn't seem like many of the people live in Texas. No. I thought that... There was a little hint of something with Helen Hunt, and that was probably the most realistic to me because it oh, yeah. was just barely perceptible, but there was kind of something there. No, I'm with you, though, with the Richard Gere thing. is I love somebody that's just like, you know what? My character's from North Carolina. <laughs> just like, yeah, with differences. Yeah. <laughs> John Hamm in the town. 
know Boston accent, but I, I think it, the reality is is that character from the book is actually from like North Carolina or something. There actually is a reason why he doesn't have a Boston accent. I, it never really bothers me. Accent work is fun, and I appreciate it, but it's not always crucial. You know, sometimes it's hilarious when it's like way over the top. <laughs> I love those. Jared Leto and House of Gucci. Yeah, well, I, and I love <laughs> Affleck and Matt Damon, both the Afflecks. I love when those guys do these Boston movies. Wahlberg, they lived there, and I know they never really talked with that deep of an <laughs> accent, but they loved to really play it up. Yeah. Well, it depends which weekend it was. Yeah. Which side of the family. <laughs> I would say we get about 90 minutes into the movie, and I'm still trying to decipher the whole D.D. Maryland thing. Like, what exactly went on? I know. What's happening right now? Because they're alluding to something, and it's pretty clear that they fucked. But yeah. aside from that, you're not sure, was this a love affair? Right. And then it, gradually you, you do get the sense that it was kind of a serious thing, and I guess maybe they tried to keep it secret or deny it or whatever, but it's coming back up. But, but I just found it strange that yeah. we're getting that deep into the movie, and it still was kind of unclear what exactly had happened. It plays it like they are really close friends that had some experiences together, but their relationship stays strong regardless. But then there's times where it's, there is this little bit of sadness there. The whole part where they're like sharing the flask. I wasn't trying to take that originally. Yeah, there's sort of a strange quality to some of the scenes tonally where yeah. it could go either way, where you're not sure if it's supposed to be happy or sad or right. both, which again feels very reminiscent of a lot of late 90s, early 2000s comedies and yeah. romantic comedies. Being slightly ahead of your time will likely mean you're way behind the times soon enough. And I think that's inevitably what happened to a lot of films from this same time period where they wanted desperately to get into gay topics mm -hmm. because that was an emerging thing in culture still. To be truly fair... What people in 2023 should do is look back on these things with a gentle eye and understand the context. And I think movies that dabbled in LGBTQ subject matter from the 90s till at least 2005, and I want to say at least till 2010, I think should get kind of a pass if you can clearly see that their heart is in the right place. Oh, yeah. Even if they kind of seem dated I, I, and miss I the mark so. now you're really tough to be so critical of i'm thinking mostly of chasing amy but yeah. <laughs> this movie too has a little bit of that not nothing is overtly offensive don't get me wrong nothing with the gay stuff is that horrible or outdated in this movie it's but just a way that it wouldn't be portrayed not yeah. now and probably not a few years after this, really. Yeah, they're still kind of using that as a potential shock factor because I think this movie was clearly targeting a certain demo of person. Yeah. I don't know that it, it actually hit that demo. I think it was older women, upper-class people, upper-class women, because they were satirizing very specific people. And so I think the revelation of a lesbian daughter is still supposed to be a, a shocking thing. And mm -hmm. you can kind of tell when a movie presents it like that. And that feels very dated. Oh, yeah. Not quite gay panic, but more gay surprise. Yeah, yeah. And some movies I love have gay surprise, I guess is a, a phrase I'm coining right okay. now. Well, The Day Trippers is a movie I really oh, love. And yeah, that's yeah. definitely gay surprise. For sure. 
where it's treated like an extra thing that mm-hmm. not only is Stanley Tucci having the affair, but I'm kind of spoiling that movie. But you know, what uh, I mean? yeah, yeah. But there's other examples through that era, the mid '90s through probably the mid 2000s at least, where that's still kind of a True. thing. And yep. yeah, that's very dated, and I'm not defending it, but. Like I said, I think sometimes with some of these things, especially a movie like this, you can kind of have gentle eyes when you look back on it and say, yeah. well, I think their heart was in the right place. I think it, they were trying to normalize it. Yeah, right? that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, There's inclusion. It's not yeah. treated as horrible. We don't really know what her mother's reaction would be because she's crazy. But the father is just, I just want you to be happy. And then, uh, you know, in a minute with the big ending, he seems like it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be fine, but that part's going to be fine. At the end of this long, strange, and emotionally demanding day, Dr. T's loyal secretary, Carolyn, decides to make her romantic feelings for her boss known. Despite it being pretty obvious those feelings are not mutual, in a farcical scene in the office, after everyone else has left for the day, Carolyn locks the door and insists on giving Dr. T a shoulder massage from behind his chair all while secretly starting to disrobe behind his back. Mm-hmm. Carolyn emphasizes his need for a loving wife. Refreshed but unaware of her intentions, Dr. T stands and goes to the coat closet, turns, and then finds that Carolyn has vanished. From under his desk, she sheepishly says that he never empties his wastebaskets. Dr. T then catches a glimpse of her state of undress and then quickly ducks out. <laughs> Hey, handsome. Carolyn, what are you doing? I thought everyone was gone. Oh, oh, come on. You know me. I'll always find something to do. <clears throat> so, hey, mm. how would you like a nice massage? Oh, no, come on, come really. on. Now you need it. It's no problem for me. Lord Almighty, you have had a heck of a day, huh? Haven't you? I'm so sorry everything was so difficult for you today. Oh. Oh, ooh, yeah, big one. Okay. That's good. Easy now. Because, um, you know, Dr. T, there's, there's nothing that uh, I wouldn't do for you. There's, there's just nothing I wouldn't do for you. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't ever have to worry about what you'd have to do without me. Mm-hmm. You don't ever have to worry about that. Because, because I'm just going to be here for you, you know? So that's all there is to that. And Dr. T, if you don't mind my saying, you know, you do need a wife. You need a wife, and you need a real good wife who, who's as good to you as you are to so many other people. You know, you, you, you treat people so special, and you care about them. And you need a wife who, who cares about you, and who adores you, and who. Doctor T, you need somebody to make you feel good, don't you think? I just know that there, there's a really special woman out there who, who would be so good to you, who just. Make your life complete. 
And he would make each other so happy. Mm. Oh, that's better. Thank you. Thank you. No. That's really good. Thank you. Oh. You really are. Something special. You're always there for me. Loyal, loyal person. Let's see you tomorrow. Carolyn? Yes? What are you doing down there? You never do clean your waste baskets. So I'm doing that. I'll see you tomorrow. amusing it, it is a funny scene i also like the way that they play it how she's very clumsy about the way that she's doing this oh well you're talking about sitcom oh, legend yeah. shelly long That's she's right. got that comedic timing mm-hmm. people can debate whether or not she made the right choice to leave cheers whether or not her film career was actually as successful as it should have been i can't debate her talent level, though. I will say this. The comedy chops are there. She's got them. Oh, yeah. She's the funniest person in this movie. I, I think so, sure. too. I didn't mind Kirstie Alley, but I hate when characters leave sitcoms, mm-hmm. and Cheers really was not the same for me after that. Some people preferred the Kirstie Alley years. I prefer the Shelley Long ones because the only times I really can remember watching Cheers now is in order. Yeah. So you get to a certain point, and then she leaves, and then it really feels like a blow right. to the show. I don't know if you had any Cheers thoughts you wanted to share. I wasn't that close to it. I only ever watched random episodes. Yeah, you're a lot younger, but I figured maybe the Boston connection. I don't really know. Did you live in Boston? Or well, just... I lived in the suburbs of Boston, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just know that you like the Patriots, and yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> and I went to high school in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah, you do mention Massachusetts, and that's yeah. Boston. Yeah. I, I forgot. They are, yeah. What did you think when Harlan mentions having just gotten back from New Orleans, did you immediately think, oh, they definitely went together? Or did you think, oh, this is going to be a misunderstanding? I thought they definitely went together. Oh, wow. I thought misunderstanding and he was going to freak out and blow it up that way by overreacting. No, I just knew that her going to New Orleans, there was something up. Yeah, that's fair. I should have saw that coming. Obviously, it's intentional for the movie, but the way that she's acting... I guess the way that she was so familiar with him, mm-hmm. acting as if she knew him so well, knew his emotions so well, knew his reactions so well, wanting to know the intimate details of his family. I just thought it was really unlikely that she was actually going to go fuck this other guy. Yeah, maybe my life experiences have warped <laughs> my <laughs> expectations of characters in movies. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. A fair amount of New Orleans to Dallas material in this movie. I was thinking about Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is a companion piece to JFK, this yeah. movie. That's I would insane. watch those back-to-back. I think so. The two big Dallas yeah. movies. <laughs> yeah. As Dee Dee's wedding begins, the skies darken and thunder moves into the area. It's just as Connie feared, so she did predict this. No contingency plan. A storm is brewing as people are gathering. It does sort of make me think of the ending, and I I can't help but wonder if some of this stuff is supposed to be not super real. That is but on the table, know. yeah. There's not enough, I think, 
for that to be any kind of definitive, but mm-hmm. you can definitely think about it because the ending does allow for a lot of free thinking. Yes. I think. As the procession is blown by increasing wind, Dee Dee bypasses the groom, rushes to Marilyn, and they embrace and kiss. The sky finally opens and the rain pours down, sending all of the guests in every direction searching for shelter. Two big shocking things. First, Kate in attendance. So Dr. Harper does a complete 180. She goes from not being able to see anyone to now being in a big crowd with a lot of people she would know. Sort of strange and not really treated like that big of a deal by anybody. No, I know. You would have thought the other characters would react to seeing her there more. The daughters would be interested. I do think Connie does say mom or whatever, but it's really kind of limited. I know. This should be like this big coming out of this character who's been kept away in this psychiatric center or whatever, and everyone just sort of acts like it's just another guest. The second shocking thing, this guy is the groom. Oh, I know. He looks like he walked out of my fucking sixth grade school picture with his gelled <laughs> hair and fucking glasses. Dork. He looks like a dork. He's marrying Kate Hudson? Yeah, I know. What? <laughs> Isn't his name Bart or something? <laughs> Just a loser nerd. That was maybe the most shocking thing in this movie. And we haven't even gotten to the birth yet. <laughs> oh, God. That guy. Inspired, Dr. T drives his open-top convertible to Bree's house where he asks her to marry and run away with him. He offers to fulfill her every need and take care of everything so that she wouldn't have to work or do anything Mm -hmm. she didn't want to do. So let me break this down. Yeah. It's pouring rain. He drives away in a convertible that he can't get close. That's ridiculous. Yep. The wedding is over. Uh It's somehow... Is it better or worse than the wedding in Melancholia? <laughs> because in the wedding in Melancholia, they get married. Yeah. But then it's immediately. Are you asking me which situation. one I'd rather be the groom of? It's got to be the wedding in this movie. Yeah. Right? For because sure. at least you didn't actually get married. Exactly. Then you don't have to do the <laughs> right. pathetic annulment yeah. and all that stuff. <laughs> that guy, he doesn't even know what happened. He yeah. was batting so out of his league. And then it all came crashing down. And then the revelation that she's actually attracted to only women starts to make a lot of sense oh, yeah. to this guy. <laughs> he knew something was wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the world makes sense now. So then Dr. T runs off in this big, sweeping, romantic gesture. It was used a lot in the trailer of the film. Uh, it's the opening clip, well, and it's where you think this movie's going. But it would it be is, very um, cliche. Yeah, it is too much. It's a bit much. My only problem with what happens next is that it betrays what we just saw with Brie and, again, I know. What, how she was acting in the office like they're already a couple. But I do think that this is way too strong of a move from him. No, it is. Yeah. And I'm not saying that her saying no is wrong. I'm saying right, right. the whole revelation of how she's been treating their relationship uh-huh. and how casual in her mind this is. That is true, yeah. Although, again, I guess that could go back into maybe this movie has solely been from his perspective until it starts to crash down around him. Mm -hmm. And it's not like he really thought it was. Maybe the first cracks in his fairy tale is finding out his wife is actually mentally ill. 
his daughter is not about to get married to a man. And I know this sounds offensive in 2023, but I'm going by the way they were maybe thinking in 2000. It's like, yeah. oh, you're not going to get married to a man and you're going to be a lesbian instead, which he is cool with. But, you know, he's also a gynecologist. So maybe he was thinking about her not having children. I don't know. Whatever. His life is changing so dramatically, so rapidly, all of a sudden. Right. His world that he thought he had is now crashing down around him including Peggy and her three children having to move into his house. And he thought that his relationship was this new, exciting thing that she was all a hundred percent into him. And then that turns out to not actually be real. And could you see it as if like, maybe some of that was a mirage and then the mirage is crashing down and that's symbolized oh, by this sure. weather yeah. now. I don't this know. Crazy weather. Yeah. I don't know. When he shows up, Bree is a little taken aback. She asks, why would he think, she would want all of that, all of those things he was promising. But it's also the way the scene plays out. When he first gets there, I'm almost thinking Harlan's going to pop out of the bathroom or something. It sort of feels like there's something wrong right away. Yeah. But then as the scene unfolds, okay, no, we're not going down that direction. But you're saying that you thought it was him showing up at right after he leaves? I thought so, yeah. Well, then maybe she is uncomfortable thinking that... Yeah. She knows he's going to There could arrive. be a, a scene maybe about to happen, yeah. Although she is offering to make him tea, although anything to get him out of this frenzied state. <laughs> yeah, he's talking about getting married yeah. and running away together. And she's like, I just moved here. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? This condo is pretty cool. What are you running from? <laughs> yeah, isn't it your wife in the nut house? Yeah. Who cares? After all, though, this behavior is supposedly what caused Kate's syndrome according to Dr. Harper the yeah, things that right. he's saying to her so I guess you could read into it that in this short burst of a relationship that they've had maybe he's come on too strong too and she's already sort of thinking okay this dude is a bit much although we don't see a lot of that though he seems pretty normal when they're together I didn't mm -hmm. get any sense that he was going overboard about anything this is the first time him showing up like this this is going overboard. Yeah. And maybe not in a loving way, maybe more in a, like a manic way. But Bree suggests that she's made other plans, and this is left vague enough to What's sting, that? just sort of hanging there. What does that mean? Dr. T asks about Harlan, who is one of his buddies, but I guess not married. Yeah. Or maybe he is, but... Yeah. I don't know. It seems like all these people are living that Bree kind of life. is starting to sound more and more yeah. questionable now <laughs> if he is married. <laughs> and though Bree replies, I'm not with anybody, she doesn't deny that she may have been having fun with Harlan too. Distraught, Dr. T leaves her condo and back out into the storm. And there is a car that pulls up to the house after that. Oh, I believe And you. they show a guy. I thought it was Harlan, but maybe it's just maybe it's another guy. In all fairness to me, this is my first time yeah. seeing it, too. In all fairness, yeah, it is your first time. <laughs> and in all fairness, like I said, there really wasn't a lot of information out there <laughs> yeah, online yeah. about this movie. No, I agree. You blink and you miss a scene. It happens. Story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> well, the only thing then is that confirms what we kind of knew, which yeah. is she is dating multiple guys. And right. And she wasn't taking it as seriously as... Dr. T, which I think is fair. I agree. Dr. It, it, T was married. I no, think I know. When he asks her a direct question, I think you should probably answer honestly, but yeah. maybe she was sort of freaked out by how emotional he was just being. It's just weird 
what they're saying about her character because, look, I'm totally down with if she, if she's like, hey, I just want to have some fun and hook up with this guy. She invites him over for dinner and that all happens. But then I agree with you that the showing up at his office and having this very... Well, more than just showing up there, it's just the way she was talking. Oh, right. I haven't seen you like No, this no, before. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Very invested in his emotional state, yeah. very familiar with him, very familiar with his family, it wanting implies to know this... the details about what's going on with Dee Dee. Yeah, it really implies this deeper connection. It's fair to say that she's not 100% on the up and up. I'm not saying she's a terrible person, but no, she yeah. may have been a little misleading at times. Sure. I, I, we don't yeah. know. I'm not saying she definitely was, but... We're seeing their relationship only from his POV, but clearly some of it was not on screen. Right. And who knows? There may have been deleted scenes or something. I don't know. At the end of the day, this guy is at least starting by cheating on his wife who's been thrown into some sort of mental illness. Oh, for sure. I think we've definitely established that (laughs) he's maybe not been the greatest guy in this movie, even though the movie doesn't seem to want to confront that. Mm Mm-hmm. The movie thinks it's done a, a reasonable enough job convincing us that it's okay that he's carrying on now with another sure, woman. Sure, yeah. Dr. T continues to drive through the downpour. Wouldn't it be great if I just started saying Mr. T? Yeah, well, that's what I, I kept thinking that I was going to accidentally say that. <laughs> Mr. T and the women. Because you're just used to Mr. T. I could have done a whole bit about that or made jokes about it and the reason why i really haven't done it is because i already saw that online from other people a bunch okay. of times and i was like yeah. okay because i thought it <laughs> might been be funny to, death. Yeah. to launch into i pity the fool or something oh, early yeah. on but i don't know i do think it's odd though that they have to shorten travis to dr t i do agree with that as well but some characters do call him sully i don't really get the title to be honest it's a guy in the women thing but yeah just how do you get to Dr. T? I get Dr. Travis, but I'm just saying, like, why would you land on that? You mean just from a starting at point A? Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes just being specific about something, it like, just sounds they, like it's a real thing then. Did they write the script without a title, and they're like, oh, the character's name is Sullivan Travis. He's Dr. Sullivan Travis. So, And we know we want to work women into the title, so why not Dr. Travis and the I'm gonna, woman? I'm going to make a guess. I guarantee you that the women in their big Texas accents saying, Dr. T, that's probably based on something. Okay. That's probably very specific. So she knew that she wanted a last name that started with T. Now, could she have picked a longer one? Maybe. But I'm guessing that she wanted it to have that sound. That makes sense, yeah. Because that sound in that southern Texas draw, I think that's very specific. That may have even been a jumping off point if that's how it ended up in the title. Who knows? I'm glad you know? we've uh, pontificated on this. <laughs> I know. Dr. G continues to drive through the downpour in a convertible with the top down through a hauntingly deserted Dallas. Eventually, he crosses paths with a tornado, which lifts him into the air a la The Wizard of Oz. It's a swirl of rain and clouds and wind and debris yeah. before the scene fades. All of a sudden... Oh, shit, it's Helen Hunt in Twister 2. Yeah, except there's literally no one else on the road, which (laughs) I know that most people wouldn't be driving through a storm, but there is no one. Do you think this is all a hallucination or a dream? It seems like it has to be not real. Okay, so let's let's finish it, and then we'll just do it all as one thing. In the morning after, the camera pans to reveal distant mountains surrounding a vast desert land. 
Somehow, Dr. T has ended up in Mexico. His car is found by three Mexican children who recognize the medical symbol on the front grill, realizing he is a doctor. They lead the still-dazed and confused Dr. T to a house where a young woman is in labor. Galvanized by the sight, he immediately washes his hands, drops his wedding ring in the basin, takes charge, and delivers the baby. He rejoices when he sees the child is a boy. And the end. Yeah. <laughs> your description of it, I don't think quite gives the shock value. Yeah, he's in a completely different yeah. world. He's in a completely different movie. It looks completely different. Right. As soon as you see that he's in a different world, like a different setting, that F on Cinema Score makes so much sense. You're like, oh. <laughs> Because to this point, even if you weren't entertained by the first hour and 45 minutes, it seems very, an F is very yeah. rare. That is for things that just upset people. Yeah, I and mean- And it all started to click when I saw this. I was like, oh, I people were pounding uh-huh. their fists when and they were leaving. I don't know if you're quite ready for what happens once he, when he walks into that house. At least the camera angles. It was the first major Hollywood feature movie to show a medically explicit scene of a baby being born, which is wild. Yeah. Lindsay didn't see much of this movie, but she did see this part. (laughs) (laughs) What was her comment on that? I mean, she was reacting visibly. (laughs) She was finding kinship with Lorena Bobbitt. We were both having a hard time. Don't you even dare get that thing near me (laughs) if you think this is what's going to happen. She was like, I can't believe somebody requested you guys do a movie about a gynecologist. (laughs) These are our listeners. (laughs) Yeah. Don't give Big Al a hard time. There's something to this movie. (laughs) Richard Gere later admitted that he didn't understand the finale until preview audiences explained it to him. Wow. And when I read that, I thought, could they explain it to me? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> because, folks, I Googled what does the ending of this movie mean, and there doesn't really seem to be a definitive answer, though there are really just three possibilities. Mm-hmm. Well, it's certainly surreal, and I think, obviously, like a lot of the film, it's a metaphor. The first hour and 45 minutes is less obvious that it's metaphorical until this, and then I think... Obviously, you can maybe take the whole thing then as a metaphor. Yeah, right. But either Dr. T is dead, he is in a coma, so this is some kind of a dream, or this is real, and his car was actually picked up by a tornado and taken to Texas, where he then is immediately recognized as a doctor and delivers a baby. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's real, then that seems pretty dumb, because nothing else in the movie is supernatural, so, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. I don't think you can really justify it being real. That just seems dumb. Yeah. That leaves him either being dead, and this is a vision of the afterlife where he's finally delivering a boy and escaping a world of women. <laughs> this hellish life he's been living. But that also seems pretty grim to me because... Uh, yeah. Okay, these girls are a little flighty, but they seem like decent girls. And no, I know. And now their mother is crazy and their dad is just dead? What? <laughs> what are we supposed to take from that? <laughs> yeah. I kind of like the idea that it's more of a dream. I don't know when the dream starts. It mm-hmm. may even be before the wedding. It all might be a dream. I don't know. 
there are things in the movie that are kind of strange and dreamlike because does it make sense that Marilyn would immediately go to the gynecologist? I don't know. Probably not. So maybe it is a dream. But it's always a weird move when you're like, the whole movie's a dream. Yeah. I certainly prefer that to him just being dead, though, because I never really yeah. like those kind of endings where it just abruptly is for not. You right. Know? I don't know. What do you think? What do you prefer for that ending? Do you want that to be real? No, I want it to be a It's definitely a metaphorical dream. for the viewer, but I guess in terms of the reality of the movie, yeah. is it real? I'm just trying to think when the dream starts. When do I think the dream starts? Is there some sort of a tornado incident that he's involved in? Is he in the hospital? I don't know. But I guess it's up to you. Yeah. As to where the dream would be occurring. I would imagine he's either on the side of the road or It's like the in end of hospital. Crash. Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely attention grabbing because it comes out of nowhere, really. I don't really think there's any clues earlier no. in the film that you're headed in this direction. No, I agree. And this was definitely a swing. So for that alone, I thank Big Al for the request because I don't know that I would have ever even watched this movie. Yeah, and when we watched the trailer for it, everything that's not the end of this movie is pretty much mostly what I expected it to be from the trailer. Yeah, I never saw the trailer. Oh, okay. So you must have watched it with Lindsay or something. Uh, I must have watched it after you told me that we were doing this. Yeah, I just know that parts of the scene with him showing up because people were saying that online. I can't remember if it's Fastball or something like that is the song that's playing during the trailer. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Way? No. It might not be Fastball. It's Out of My Head. Oh, yeah. Was that I, might be, too. Is it Was I Out of My Head? Was I Out of My Mind? Yeah. That's the song that's in the trailer, which is very, is, I would say, what that movie feels like. <laughs> like that song. Whimsical, upbeat. Yeah. And it's him with all these women in his life. And then you're watching it, and you're like, yeah, this is what I, I thought it would be. And then you get to this, and you're like... Holy shit, this is wildly off from what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, this seems to have more of an existential vibe to it. Yeah. More of a bigger picture thing that I'm not sure that I quite fully grasp. I know that he's clearly obsessed with women, surrounded by women, but I'm wondering if this joyous reaction at the child that is being born being a boy wondering if that is because he finally realizes that he doesn't understand women and if this is just some I don't know men it, are from Mars women are from Venus. It does sort of feel that way like I, I'd love to say that there's more to it but it, it does sort of feel like oh boy how simple <laughs> hallelujah it, yeah. it does sort of feel like that's it I'd like to think that there's more than well, that but yeah it's not too dissimilar from the vibe you get from multiplicity or in and out or yeah, some of those true. 90s yeah. comedies May your first child be a masculine child. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Big Al, I hope we did it justice. Yeah, we, Big Al. If this you, was a new one to us. Although, I was kind of embarrassed to say that I may never have seen it, but God damn it, Altman has so many movies. I've seen probably not even half of them. I don't even know. Big Al, if you ever respond to our emails, you should let us know. Oh, I'd love to read Yeah. your history with this movie, what you think about it, why you chose it. I know what you were debating between this and another movie you originally wanted us to do something else and then changed it i'm not going to say what that is in case you ever decide you want to request that in the future but (laughs) this movie and that movie are so different that i'm very fascinated (laughs) as to what the thought process was there so it's possible that you didn't get my email 
and it went to your junk mail or something. So if you hear this, reach out greatestpod at gmail.com. We'd love to know the backstory with this one. Now the listeners are actually like playing the trick of, I was just trying to get you guys to talk about a movie and say you like it. It sucks. You guys are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't that always been what they were doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Folks. No, I actually think it's kind of fun whenever the listeners request something that we have no knowledge of, which oh, has sure, happened yeah. oh, totally. plenty of times. Absolutely. Now. Yeah, and it's always an interesting experience. It's happened several times this year. All right, so if you have a listener request like Big Al, reach out, greatestpod at gmail.com or at greatestpod on x slash Twitter, and we will work out the details with you as to how that gets done. Let's move into segments. Do we want to start with email or recommendations? Uh, let's knock out recommendations because I don't know if I have one. What are you doing? What? what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Okay, well, I was certainly reminded of this wedding during the wedding sequence in this movie for the poor Bart, who I don't even believe has a line other than maybe like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) But yes, Melancholia. Oh, yeah. Starring Kirsten Dunst and Charlotte Gainsbourg and Alexander Skarsgård and Kiefer Sutherland. A very weird movie, depressing, strange, Lars von Trier. I love it. It's on Hulu. We'll probably do it on the show someday. Yeah. I like so if you too. haven't seen it and you want something cool and interesting and weird. One of those movies that seems like since it came out, it's always streaming somewhere. Yeah. So Melancholia is at least on Hulu, maybe other places as well. Do you have anything? Nah. Too short notice. All right. All right. All right, you go ahead. You go ahead. You keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information okay let's move on to email since we didn't hear back from big al we will read one from our old friend theodore this one actually came a little bit ago but since it was some positive feedback for what we were doing in greatest october i wanted to get it on the record (laughs) just so desperate for anyone saying anything nice about what we're doing Theodore says, I'm traveling for work for most of October, which I despise, so I'm glad I've got Greatest October to keep me company. Oh, good. Something similar happened in 2020 when I was going through one of the toughest patches of my life, but I had Greatest October to get me through it. Thanks, as always, for all your hard work. That's directed at you. Well, I certainly appreciate hearing stuff like that, (laughs) (laughs) which is obviously why I want to read it on the show, but... It doesn't have to be that nice, but if you have any thoughts or feelings about the show, any personal anecdotes about movies, if you've done listener requests like Big Al, we would love to hear your thoughts and anecdotes about those specific movies, as in why you chose them, what you think about them. If we already did the episode, what you think about our performance. Big Al, feel free to be honest. I know maybe we were a little more critical of some elements in this film than you would have liked. I don't know. It's definitely one of those things. There's probably a very small group of people, albeit, but people just don't get Dr. T and the women. Oh, for sure. I saw that in the reviews on IMDb. Yeah. And those people are just laughing at us. 
I actually did find a lot of it entertaining. Same I, here. I thought Shelley Long's performance was very funny, and I found a lot of the women very sexy, if I could be so piggish to admit. Sure, why not? We're this far into the I, episode, yeah. I think it's fine to say that women are attractive. I don't, I don't, I don't find... I know. Well, we always go for it. Richard Gere's so... very attractive, too. Absolutely. Whew. I was enjoying the locker room know, scenes just... at the golf club. We're not saying anything crazy here. Yeah, and if I'm going to be completely honest, I appreciated seeing Tara Reid. It always makes me sad that she's sort of become a, a joke or whatever. Yeah, I know. So it was nice to see her when she was still riding high on top. Yeah. <laughs> I know. She had spunk back then. All right, folks. Thank you to Big Al for the listener request. We really appreciate the support. We'd love to hear from you soon. Follow us on X slash Twitter at GreatestPod. Reach us via email, greatestpod at gmail.com. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you're finding us. I guess there's some other places as well where we show up. If you'd like a free sticker, as always, let us know. We'll send that out to you. You can put it on your car, your guitar, your laptop. Like I, I put our sticker oh, yeah. on the laptop finally. Maybe like a bathroom stall of some dive bar. Or in your own bathroom mirror for a daily (laughs) affirmation every day to remind yourself what the greatest podcast is. (laughs) That seems like a pretty deranged person doing that. Well, I feel like we have some deranged listeners. (laughs) Absolutely. Love it. The ass clowns. Anyway, folks, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. You should have been beefing at their wave. Why would you bring this to somebody else's club? That's sad. Hazel London was inside the club when she heard gunshots. It's upsetting me in my home, girl, because we feel like, well, damn, if you can't go to bed on no chase, what the hell could you go? 
As the investigation continues into what unfolded, partygoers say going out in Baton Rouge can turn into a dangerous situation. It's not like this out of town. No, it's not. No, it's not like it's this. Not like this. But they're willing to take the risk. Actually, mother bring guns in their car all the time. You think we got time for somebody getting shot the place we go and have a good time at? No.